So I think it's really incredibly valuable to immerse ourselves in any culture that behaves differently. I think it's really good for perspective and it, it makes us then more flexible. Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? Today's I'm podcast ready. is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash midlife mixtape. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash midlife mixtape for your free audiobook. Hello, and welcome to both November and the Midlife Mixtape podcast. I cannot believe we are already in the 11th month of the year, but hey, that's one month closer to regime change. So I did a thing yesterday. I was the DJ, or as I learned when I did the podcast episode with DJ Misbehavior, I was the selecta for a fundraiser in San Francisco at the Cat Club. This time around, we did a daytime dance party for a change from 4 to 7 p.m. For once, I got to branch out from the 80s stuff they like to play there into 90s dance music, which was wicked exciting. I played some Big Willie style. I played some Tanya Donnelly with Belly and my favorite, the KLF featuring Tammy Wynette, all bound for Moo Moo Land. So I want to thank everyone who came out and shook it to raise money for North Bay Fire Relief. There were so many people impacted in those fires in October, and this was a fun way to help them get back on their feet. The people at the Cat Club in San Francisco just have the biggest hearts. They're such nice guys, and they're always game to host these kinds of do-gooder events. I'm going to drop a link to the Redwood Credit Union's North Bay Fire Relief Fund, which is where our donations went from Sunday. I'll put it on the show notes page in case any of you uh, couldn't come out and dance with us but would still like to help out the place where all your wine comes from. I have been looking forward to today's podcast for months because I hear so often from people around my age that travel figures to be a big part of the next half of your life or part of what you wish you had done more of in your youth. So who better to talk travel with than Lavinia Spaulding? Lavinia is the series editor of The Best Women's Travel Writing, author of Writing Away, and co-author of With a Measure of Grace and the forthcoming This Immeasurable Place. She introduced the ebook edition of Edith Wharton's A Motor Flight Through France, and her work appears in many national publications. So get your passport ready because you're going to be inspired. Hello, Lavinia Spalding. Welcome to the Midlife Mixtape Podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy you're here too. You're in New Orleans, right? Is that where you're recording this from? I am. Excellent. Well, we're, we'll have to talk about New Orleans as a music city, but your first music-themed question is, what was your first concert and what were the circumstances? So my earliest memories of concerts uh, were sitting very, very quietly in a tiny room and listening to my father play the guitar. He was a classical and flamenco guitarist. So I grew up... Wow being, you know, dragged, I shouldn't say dragged, but, you know, being dragged. We're to, all friends here. You can say dragged. We know. <laughs> to all of his concerts. But if we're talking about the other kind of concert, concert that I went to without my parents, that would have been in high school. And the funny thing is, I'm not exactly sure because there were three that came in quick succession. It was either Depeche Mode, 
you two or the Scorpions. But the one I remember the most, um, so I, I went to high school in Flagstaff, Arizona, and no concerts of note came through town. So we always had to drive to Phoenix, which was two hours away, to see anything decent. And I had very permissive parents, so I always had permission, but my friends never did. So they always had to sneak out or make up lies. So for the Scorpions, I went with three friends, and I don't think any of their parents knew that we were going. Uh, But our car (laughs) broke down. My friend's car broke down halfway there, so we ended up hitchhiking the rest of the way. And we got picked up by a car full of total hooligans. Like These guys were just crazy. They ended up we were terrified. They ended up drinking beer and the whole time and throwing their beer cans out the window. I think they were smoking pot. I don't totally remember. They were definitely driving like maniacs, like on the median to get ahead of the traffic. And we, when we got to the concert, we were all so grateful to be alive. And mom, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. (laughs) I know. We really appreciated the concert because we were still alive. That sounds like a bad after-school special. That's, uh, yeah, the concert sneak. My, well, I know my mom does not listen to podcasts, so I, I can share this story that my friend Kitty and I, Kitty listens to the podcast, so here it goes, Kit. We would tell our parents that we were each sleeping over at the other girl's house, and then we would drive to Canada because we lived in Rochester, New York, and Toronto was not that far away, <laughs> so we would leave the country to go to concerts in Canada. And I started telling my mom that story. She just put her hand up and said, nope, too soon. (laughs) So my mom calls it when I tell her these stories, she calls it retroactive anxiety. Oh, nice. This one can be retroactive anxiety. The, The girl whose car it was, she then had to try and explain to her father because her car broke down halfway to Phoenix, why her car was halfway to Phoenix. So I think she ended up getting grounded. Now, I just actually read a piece of yours the other day that I loved that talks to this issue of how music can connect us, especially internationally. And I'm talking about the karaoke piece that you did about your time in Korea. And I'll link this on the show notes because I love this story. But you were living in, in Korea and you used karaoke as a way of kind of breaking down barriers with people who were very different from you. You want to talk about that? And and, and I'll say this. I met Lavinia at the Book Passage Travel Writers Conference a few years ago. It's this wonderful three-day conference in Marin for travel writers. And the the highlight of the entire event is the karaoke, the travel writer karaoke. Um, and now I understand better why you're the ringleader there. <laughs> the ringleader. Yeah, I think I I signed up for that job. No one actually asked me to be the right. ringleader. You just took it on. Yeah. But why do you why do you love karaoke as a way of connecting? This, why do you think it works so well as as kind of a um, barrier breaker? Well, first of all, I should say that I'm not actually a good singer. I'm not. You know, I my father used to tell me that I couldn't carry a tune in a basket, and <laughs> so I'm not like. I'm I'm not a good singer. I just love the yeah. I love the camaraderie of it, and I didn't before I moved to Korea. I think I had you know sung karaoke once at a bachelorette party, but I got to Korea and it's so ingrained there in their culture. It's just it's mandatory. You can't you kind of mm-hmm. can't not sing karaoke. It's called noribong in Korea, and you can't not sing noribong. It's just it's just what you do. And it's like going to the movies here. Or if you're, you know, in college, it's like 
going to the bars. It's what you do. And so as a teacher, I was teaching grade school kids, junior high kids, and they would even make me go to Nori Bong with them. It was their way of bonding to, to go into a small room. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the case of the of the underage people that, you know, the middle school students, for example, you'd, you'd drink sodas and, and eat snacks, shrimp flavored chips and, and the like, and you'd sing together and no one opted out. It wasn't a spectator sport. Right. And I just, you know, I had friends who were also teaching over there who just hated it, but I, I embraced it. I thought it was fun. And I never let it go. Now I still love karaoke. And I, everywhere I go in the world, I, I try and find karaoke jokes. So. I worked in international business for a long time, and I did some travel to Tokyo for work. And it's actually some of my best memories of those trips was doing karaoke with my coworkers and the, you know, the clients. Because, I don't know, it was, just, it was just kind of like a fun way to get to see another side of people that you wouldn't have otherwise in business, you know. And it's certainly different from what you would do in the States with that same kind of a group. Absolutely. The people I sing, sang with, I mean, from, from grade schoolers to, you know, these stodgy old Korean men in, you know, in business suits who, you know, we were singing Mariah Carey together. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> As you do. So let's talk more about your Best Women's Travel Writing Series. So this is a series, you've an anthology you've been editing for a long time. You're on volume 11 at this point. And I want to ask you what you think it is about travel and travel writing. We'll move beyond karaoke now. What is it about <laughs> travel itself and travel writing that you know helps us understand and connect better? And do you think there's a particular need for that in 2017? I have an answer to that question. I'm totally leading you into it, but go ahead. <laughs> Nah, there's no need. <laughs> we all get along so well. <laughs> yeah, so the best women's travel writing. I've actually just edited five mm. of them. Um, so Traveler's Tales publishes the series, and they were doing it before I came along. But So I've done five, and we just published volume 11. And so your question is, what is it about travel and travel writing that helps us understand, connect, connect to, to other humans? Right. I would say that, you know, with travel, I think that it's just that we're allowing ourselves, sometimes even forcing ourselves to just be really vulnerable. And so that obliges us to be more sensitive and compassionate to other humans in general. Mm -hmm. Travel is really, it's kind of the great connector. It, It helps us learn that not everyone in the world thinks the same way as we do or acts the same or or eats the same, um, or anything. And, and so I think it's really incredibly valuable to immerse ourselves in any culture that behaves differently. I think it's really good for perspective, and it, it makes us then more flexible right. in our own relationships to people, less rigid. But then, hand-in-hand in hand with that, you get the more important realization of commonality, that you know, regardless how different we all are, how differently we think and talk and, and pray and eat and whatever, that we're all humans and, and that there's more in common, much more in common than there is that separates us. Right. Do you think that women look at travel differently than men do? I mean, your series <laughs> focuses on women's travel writing. And I wonder if you, I was thinking about this, if a guy submitted a travel writing story to you for the anthology, do you think you could tell? This is such a tricky question to answer. I'm asked it a lot. 
sometimes I get myself in trouble trying to answer it because I think a lot of women don't want me to differentiate between men and women, especially where writing is concerned. Uh, but the problem is I do think that at least very, very generally speaking, women do view travel differently. Or at least, you know, from the 2,500 or so essays I've read over the last five years, it seems that women writers do. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of exceptions um, to what I would say about this. But I, I do find that women tend to write more about the ways in which travel changes them. They write about who they met, the connections mm-hmm. they made, what they learned, how they changed, how they healed. Whereas a lot of male travelers tend to write sort of for the sake of, of entertainment or the sake of information, what they did that was fun and funny and interesting and scary, mm-hmm. uh, what they did, what they ate, what they conquered. <laughs> Whereas I think women gravitate more toward meaning and opportunities for connection and growth. But now that I've said that, I need to be very diplomatic (laughs) and say that there are plenty of men who write with great sensitivity and emotion. And if I got a a story submitted by, say, Don George or Phil Cousineau or, you know, one of these writers who, who do, you know, really dig deep and explore all the connections that they make um, that, no, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. All right. So don't anybody pick on Lavinia. I'm the one who asked her the question, and she's trying to be very diplomatic. So she's not saying it's always that way. And I like reading stories of both sides of that. I mean, I love reading an entertaining story about something scary that was conquered. kind of story that I love is, is a story that both entertains me and really moves me and surprises me. Mm-hmm. And I think and I think women do that well. So when I think of travel in 2017, I think in some ways it's gotten easier than ever to be a solo traveler because you've got Airbnb, there's Uber, there's every possible piece of information about the place you're going to go that you can research ahead of time and you can stay in touch. Mm-hmm. So it feels like in some ways it's it's safer than ever. And then in other ways, it seems riskier than ever. And I, uh, as a mom of a kid who's looking to study abroad next year, her junior year in college, even as somebody who you know has lived overseas and I did a semester abroad and I love travel and I really want my kids to be travelers, I am on edge all the time when I read about incidents in various cities. And in fact, my daughter's best friend is in school in London. She goes to University of Arts London. And she knows now that if something gets announced in London, uh, any kind of an incident, she texts me. I think I must get the text right after she texts her own mother. She texts me and says, I'm okay. Don't worry about me. Where do you come down on that? Is is it a great time to be a solo traveler? Is it a riskier time than before? What's your take? Personally, I have a two-year-old. So right right now, I'm not getting the chance to do much solo travel, but I'll tell you that if I did have the chance, I would jump at the chance. I would not be worried about the, the you know, state of the world right now. Um, I wouldn't think twice. I think that, that it's dangerous here in the United States. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. If you look at travel advisories from other countries, they tell people not to come here. So how proud, how proud I feel. <laughs> Sorry. God. Sorry. No, it's but, true. No, it's you true. Know, I, I just remember when I was in Korea, my, you know, this was before the internet really. And so my parents would watch 
the news about these quote unquote violent demonstrations or, you know, and I remember my mom calling me and I, I read about the protest and are you okay? And I said, oh yeah, mom, it was amazing. We got there right after and there was totally tear gas in the air. Like I, I kind of got like <laughs> secondhand tear gas and she was like, okay. And I was like, and then we went to the bar. And then another time, you know, there was a typhoon or a typhoon and, and she said, are you okay? And I said, oh yeah, we had a typhoon party. We went down to the beach and, you know, it's, it was very different being there. You know, there were, there were North Korean right. things that were happening that were getting reported on the news back home that to us, our South Korean friends were saying, oh, don't worry, you know, you're the safest person in the world right now. They're not going to bomb their own continent. You know, it was just this, it's really interesting, this really interesting sort of realization that when you're there, it's a much different situation. It's a, it's a much different experience when you're really there. I was just in Barcelona last week, two weeks ago, during the, you know, all of the Catalan independence stuff. And people were worried about me. It was a fascinating time to be there. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I was there and that I got to witness it. And I didn't, even see anything remotely close to violence. Right. So, I mean, it really depends on what block you're on. It depends on what building you're in. And that goes equally for the United States. So I think that the same rules apply as ever. You use your head. You don't go to places that are deemed too dangerous right. by non-U.S. travel advisories. I don't really trust the U.S. travel advisories. I like to look at the, you know, the um, British ones and Canadian ones. Yeah. Yeah. And you just do, you know, you always check in with yourself. You do gut checks, you common sense the way you would in a city in you in, in the United States. You, you don't go down that scary dark alley at two in the morning, <laughs> even if it is just because it's in Paris yeah. doesn't make it better. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I was talking to my daughter yesterday about this because she's finding out, she's supposed to find out this week if she got approved to go for her fall semester. And she had, talk to us about maybe going for a full year. And what I talked to her yesterday, she said, uh, I'm not sure about that now. It's a long time to be away. And I said, well, here's my unsolicited opinion. You're not going to get that many times in your life where you can do something like this. You know, you're going to have a two-year-old, you're going to have a teenager or whatever. Things happen and it's harder and harder to get away for a big chunk of time and really go immerse yourself living someplace else. So I said, you know, if you want my opinion, I think you should go for the whole year. But whatever, you know, she's going to do what she's going to do because she is her own person. But I think that's it. It's not a regret. But as somebody who studied international business, you know, got a couple degrees in it, and I worked in the field, I was rather surprised to learn that I was not going to raise my kids overseas. I always thought that would be at least some part of their lives, we would be living abroad, because my husband's kind of wired the same way that I am. Like, of course, we're going to be global citizens and live everywhere in the world. And oh, we've been in Oakland 20 years. How did that happen? So... Yeah, I hear you. I, my son's only two, but already I'm, oh, he needs to be learning a foreign language. And why aren't we raising him some right now, especially, I don't really want to be in America. <laughs> Sorry, but you know, why aren't, why aren't we Take in me with you, little idiot. But, Take me with you. I mean, that's you. one of the reasons we moved to New Orleans, right. because it is one of the most culturally interesting places in the United States. It's sort of the closest you can get to living in a foreign country without actually leaving. Yeah. But I do think, I think it's such a rich experience for, for kids and young people. You know, when I went to South Korea, I didn't know anything about Korea. I watched some episodes of MASH. Well, there you go. What more do you need? Right. I planned to stay for a year and I stayed for six. 
I often talk to my guests about how their their industry has changed and how you know, it's different to be at this stage of life where you've got some experience versus some of the people who are just getting into the industry for the first time. And in travel writing in particular, you know, the idea that anybody can pick up a pen and anybody can travel kind of means that anybody could call themselves a travel writer. And I had this whole line of questioning for you about, you know, how do you set yourself apart as someone who's more experienced and who's really worked in it? And then I was listening to your TEDx talk, and I realized that's kind of the opposite of what you of what your philosophy is. So I'll, I'll link to the um, TEDx video that Lavinia did, but you talk about the importance of the travel story as a way to give you a capacity to care about someone you never met. It occurs to me you're really encouraging everybody to be a travel writer. So do you want to talk about what the impetus is there and how you kind of reconcile that with also, I'm sure, being proud of your accomplishments as a travel writer and understanding that you've got a different level of expertise than somebody who may just be picking up the pen and submitting to Best Women's Travel Writing for the first time. Sure. Well, it's a, it's a big question. And I guess the gist of my TEDx talk is that so many people travel and they don't, they don't really connect with people abroad. They sort of, you know, they go to a resort or they travel in pairs. A lot of people don't talk to anyone besides the cab driver and the bartender. And so my the idea behind my TEDx talk is sort of encouraging people to send themselves on assignment and to go to when they travel to to seek out a person and to write a story about that person because it is such an incredible way to travel. Being a travel writer forces us to pay so much more attention, to make connections. You can't go on assignment and not talk to anyone. And so we, as travel writers, we come away with a much a much more powerful experience, much richer time and, and, and better memories, I think. So for me, it's it's a little separate from the idea of professional travel writing. It's really, it's more something that I think is enriching to the soul. But I have had since, since doing that TEDx talk, I've had so many people write to me and say, you know, this changed my life and the way that I travel. And I've since had some, some stories published that, that I felt encouraged. You know, every year it brings me so much joy when I publish somebody who's never been published before. And it happens. It happened this year. It happened last year. Just because you've never picked up the pen or taken a class doesn't mean you can't write. You just have to do yeah. it and, and see. And mm -hmm. so I, it's been really, that's been one of the most gratifying experiences through the best women's travel writing is getting the opportunity to have someone's very first publication be in the best women's travel writing, having, having beaten out 450 other submissions. It, it's just really, um, it's a beautiful feeling. You know, there's enough sky for everyone. I think that the main thing is that if you think of yourself as a travel writer, when you travel, you end up with, with a much more profound experience because you have to dig into that culture. You have to pay attention. And you have to connect. I mean, you can't, as you say, you can't just be talking to the taxi driver and the and the bartender. I mean, it's it was a big question. So do you think that people, when they're traveling at midlife, are looking for things that are different than, than they may have looked for when they were traveling at a younger age? And I'm not just talking about the hookup, but... <laughs> <laughs> I know plenty of mid, midlife people looking for that. 
<laughs> but speaking of the hookup, I'm also going to connect to that amazing story. You you had that great essay that came out recently called To the One Who Was Supposed to Get Away. And I'll link to that one, too, because that was just so real about uh, I don't want to give away the end. I mean, but I'm going to start over again. I'm just going to say, Lavinia (laughs) wrote a great story. I gave away the ending. I'm going to cut that whole part and just say, go read her story. Anywho. Um, So maybe not looking for the hookup at midlife, or maybe yes, I don't know. But, um, you know, just in terms of how we travel at this age, what are the things that you think people look for or take away from travel that maybe they didn't know enough to or just didn't see when they were traveling at a younger age? Yeah, I, I do think that people probably approach travel differently. I mean, I know I do. I started traveling internationally when I was in my mid-20s. And yeah, I was just kind of following the normal tourist routes, going to the places that other people went, not really following my own interests. And I was going to a lot of bars and looking for the hookup. And uh, I was a little, you know, my, my travel journals of those times are filled with... Um, boys. <laughs> no shame in that game, Lavinia. You know, but, but as a result, you know, I, I did a lot of touring of beautiful castles and landmarks and museums and bars and whatever, but a, a lot of those experiences blend together. And now I think I tend to travel in a way that feeds my soul more, I guess, mm-hmm. at the risk of being cheesy. I seek out experiences that are more personally meaningful and fulfilling to me. Um, And I like to go to places that aren't quite as trodden by the average tourist. I like to go to different places. And I think when I was, when I was traveling, Mm -hmm. when I was younger, I was just sort of going where all the other kids were going. Yeah. You can be a little bit more circumspect at this age about what you still, what you still want to see. Right. And I'm probably a little bit more careful. Yeah. I'm I'm a little more careful than I was. Not just jumping in the back of a car with whatever random hooligans are driving a Phoenix. That right, maybe right, that right. maybe you wouldn't do in 2017. Not now that I have that I have a kid. I think it's different, but maybe maybe you would. Yeah, I was still doing that in my 30s for sure. <laughs> All right. So, last question: What one piece of advice do you have for people younger than you, or do you wish you could go back and tell yourself? Buy Apple stock. Lots and lots of it. No, oh, good one. Kind of boring. That's I do good. wish. I, I mean, honestly, I do wish my younger self had been more financially responsible, but. I would have probably told myself to keep more meticulous journals. You're a big fan of journaling. You've you've actually written a book about it. I have. I wrote a book about keeping journals. So you would think that I wouldn't have this um, particular regret in life. But and there are these huge gaps in my travel life and, and my life in general that I don't remember at all because I didn't keep a journal. So I wish I really wish I'd done better at recording some of those early travels. Or at least that my that my journals weren't filled with boys, that they, <laughs> that they were filled with something more meaningful. Um, I guess I would say that I would have told my younger self to pay more attention and to write it down. Well, never too late to start for the rest of us, right? We can all be doing that. And I want to mention, you've got a new book coming out called This Immeasurable Place, Food and Farming from the Edge of Wilderness, Recipes from Hell's Backbone Grill. What's that all about? Oh, it's very exciting. So my sister has an incredibly beautiful Buddhist-based farm-to-table restaurant in a town of 180 people in southern Utah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and it's been there for about 17 years. She was just nominated for um, a James Beard this year, she and her co-owner, co-chef. And so my first book that I ever wrote was their first cookbook. I, I co-wrote that with them um, some 
14 years ago, 13 years ago. Uh, this is the sequel, the, the follow-up to that. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about their, their farm and the people who live in this totally kooky little little town in the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, which is a fascinating and beautiful place. When people ask me what my favorite places are as a travel writer, it's sort of funny because I always say, Oh, you know, Cuba, South Korea, Tibet, Sicily, and Southern Utah. And they're like, oh, one of these things is not like the other. But it is really magical there. And when does that book come out? Uh, it comes out next month. Oh, just in time for holiday giving, everyone. So I'll put a link up to that as well. Sounds fantastic. All right. Well, Lavinia, thank you so much for visiting with me today. I feel like I need to take off my headphones and just jump in a plane and go somewhere and journal all about it. Do it. Where are you going to go? I want to go on safari. That's that's our next thing. We had a big trip this year because we had our 25th anniversary two days ago. Woohoo! Congratulations. We treated ourselves. We went to Tasmania and we went on a six-day trek that was amazing and was so gratifying because we're both in our 50s and we were like, wow, we can still do hard yeah. physical things. And we had a blast. Um, yeah. So now we've got the long list of where else do we want to go. And neither of us has ever been to Africa. But it's hard. To yeah. figure out where to go there that doesn't feel like white privilege just raining down upon you. Like, mm, I just want to see some of the big wildlife and sleep in nice tents at night, you know? So I'm researching to try to figure out a way that I can feel like I'm having the great adventure, but not doing it in a way that is exploitive in any way. So if you have ideas, tell me. Well, actually, I was going to say I, I, I would like to be privy to that research because okay. that's way up on my list as well. Well, if I if I figure it out, I'll let you know, and then maybe I'll submit a story to the Best Women's Travel Writing 2018. So Do it. All right. I will see you at the uh, karaoke mic at the next Book Passage Travel Writers Conference. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Take care. Talk to you soon. Okay. Are you packing? I'm packing. Once I research that African safari, anyway, I'm out the door. I'm going. So I wondered where you guys wanted to go the most, and I asked over on the Midlife Mixtape Facebook page. Predictably, there was a giant range of responses, because everybody's got different interests, but both domestic and international locations, Machu Picchu, Istanbul, Vietnam, India, Sweden, Disney theme parks. Bonnie said she's just moved, so she doesn't want to go anywhere. I totally get that. Moving is the worst. But I'll give the final word to my pal Andrea, who says just about anywhere on the map except Russia, either Korea, any Stan or China, I can be packed in an hour. Totally with you, Andrea, except I'd add back in China and South Korea and probably a couple of the stands. Get in touch and let me know where your top bucket list destination is. You can reach me via email at dj at midlifemixtape.com or on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Midlife Mixtape. And that's where I am on Snapchat, too. Okay, you guys, that's it for this week. Join me next time when I talk with Lynn Johnson, co-founder and CEO of Spotlight Girls, which educates, inspires, and activates girls to take center stage. We'll talk about the aha moment when this theater camp she runs with her wife became an avenue for girl advocacy and why we need that more than ever. Okay, go put on some KLF and Tammy Wynette and have you a kitchen dance party. I'm putting the video up for you on the show notes page to make it as easy as possible, and I will talk to you next time. For me, I wanna be the one to be this. I wanna be that. I wanna give up. I wanna give.
give back I wanna be free by whatever means Whatever you want from me I wanna be, be, be I wanna be I wanna be free by whatever means 